0: welcome to Reframe Your Life.
1: I'm Joanne Gibson and I'm Sandy Reynolds. Together we bring you our podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives thoughtfully and with intention.
0: On our episodes we explore diverse topics relevant to all areas of our lives.
1: Hello Life Reframers. Joanne and I are excited to introduce you to Laura Heacock today She is a leadership coach that we met through another one of our guests, Patty Hall, who you're familiar with. And Patty spoke so highly of Laura that we decided we wanted to get to know her and introduce her to our audience as well. So I'm going to go through the official bio and then we're going to launch right into getting to know her and discovering a little bit more about her reframing story and her business. Laura is a leadership coach with over 20 years experience in corporate america she runs popular personal development blog kindovermatter.com and works with professionals and companies to help them use kindness to end the epidemic of burnout in america lara's background includes working in companies ranging from small privately held firms to multinational organizations In over a decade of leadership, she managed geographically dispersed teams, mentored and coached in the associates in the U.S. and abroad. She has an MBA. She's a certified coach, award-winning writer, in-demand speaker, and author of the book Practical Kindness. We're just so happy she squeezed us in. She's obsessed with how we change the culture of corporate America. And I'm going to add probably corporate everywhere. From one that promotes busyness and burnout as status symbols to one that's rooted in kindness. Using her kind method, which we're going to discover more about today, Lara works with leaders so they can create teams and lives that thrive and avoid their own burnout. So welcome Lara. Thank you. And yes,
2: corporate everywhere. Hollow to
0: that. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's true. I love this. Yeah, I mean, in Canada, it's the same. And I'm sure anywhere I've worked globally, I think we have the god of busyness at work. And everybody wants to uh, look busy. And our lives are just becoming crazier as we go through. So I'm excited to hear about
2: your work. Yeah, in my private coaching, I have worked with With leaders in the UK and in Sweden and in Switzerland, I believe. And you're right. It is really a global epidemic. I just happen to live in America. Right.
1: And we've actually talked about busyness on our podcast. So we had uh, Joanne did a whole reframe around using the word full Mm -hmm. instead of busy. And that's really stuck with me. I whenever I hear myself saying the word, Oh, I'm really busy. I try to say my schedule's really full, which is a whole different feeling.
2: Yeah. I've really tried to eliminate the word busy from mm-hmm. my speech from saying it. And I will catch myself frequently, you know, it's such a standard reframe. I'll often start to go into like, Oh, this week was just so, mm. and I love the word full. I'm going to start using that instead because there was actually an article I read, and I wish I could remember where, but it actually talked about how just that word busy has such a negative emotional impact. I was like, all right, I'm cutting it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I and I and I add, my life is full and I choose it to be. It's a choice of of whether I'm going to spread myself amongst 10 different friends on the weekend or whether I'm going to stay at home and relax like that's a choice how full I make my life yeah
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and the difference the difference between I don't have time and I didn't make time <laughs> yes. that's a big one you know I make time you know we make time to do the things that need to get done but when you say like oh I didn't have time to do that <sighs> did you really not have it or did we not make it that's an yeah that's a good to look one. at mm-hmm.
1: very good I, I'm gonna Think about that one a little bit too because I have a feeling I say that quite often. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't have time to blah blah blah. (laughs) Make time's we all do. You have to own that one, don't you, when you say I didn't make time.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it really shifts how you think about things too. And you think about, gosh, maybe that is something I'd want to make time for. You know, like I didn't I didn't make time to grocery shop, so therefore I don't have healthy food in my fridge for dinner, or I didn't make time to um you know go out for a walk this morning so therefore I'm really dragging at lunchtime it's I use it more internally than externally like the things I don't want to do that I go in my head that I don't have time for I'm like huh what if it's I didn't make time and it's a very
0: it kind of wakes you up a little bit yeah yeah language matters and you must find that in your business so I'm curious as to how kind over matter goes over in the corporate world <laughs> mm. well
2: I, it's no surprise
0: the the audience
2: of kind over matter is largely female um, we have some pretty awesome men that sometimes do pop in as as guest writers or as readers but you know i think a lot of times there are a lot of corporate people that love the content of Kind Over Matter. It, it is my blog. I write every Monday. And then the rest of the week, we invite amazing guest writers, like you mentioned, Patty Hall, to come in and really write their own stories of kindness in different areas of their life. So there are some folks who, you know, who love that in concept. But I would say in large part, the the corporate folks who uh, find Kind Over Matter or find me through Kind Over Matter or start reading it after we work together they're largely women. I think, uh, the men folk are not so much into, uh, the daily kindness articles as much as women are.
1: So I'm curious, like, like going back to how you got into this whole kindness idea and focus in your business, was there something in your life? Maybe we call them kind of reframing moments, but something in your mm-hmm. life that happened that propelled you into that journey of kindness?
2: Yeah, I can uh, I can picture it really clearly, and it sounds kind of weird, but I was in a nail salon. Um, it was a Saturday in 2014, and at that time in my life, I I had been working in a super intense uh, commission job. I had been there for almost 10 years. At the end of 2013 is when I started blogging and running Kind Over Matter. And in the very beginning of 2014, I started a coaching training program that was very time intensive and there were classroom components and uh, coaching components. And then also at the same time, I decided I was going to do a daily 365 days of kindness project because I thought, hey, what better way to, you know, start living this kindness message than to do an active kindness every single day. So you took my my already exhausting job, added in a coaching training program, added in running a blog, adding in weekly blogging, and then trying to do an act of kindness for someone else every single day. And I literally hit my breaking point of burnout. And I was, in, I was sitting in a nail salon on a Saturday, probably in about March or April of 2014. And I was so burned out, I literally could not think of one kind thing to do for someone else. And I knew that I needed to, it was like this guttural instinct, like I needed to not have access to technology or like somebody needed to be occupying my hands for you know 20 or 30 minutes so I went and I got a manicure and I couldn't even think clearly before that and just that that little tiny bit of breathing room like that it's like the clawing out of the barrel act mm. of, of self-kindness which is what it became really was my shift and my my changing point and actually for the rest of that year. I did a self-kind Saturday every single week, and I was petrified. I was worried everybody's going to judge you. You're supposed to be doing something for everyone else. What's wrong with you that you can't handle all of this? Why are you doing something kind for yourself? And that whole concept of self-kind Saturday became one of the most you know, engaged with um, days during that whole 365 days of kindness. And I still have people that mention self-kind Saturday, and it's still something I try to do for
0: myself as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a great story. Mm -hmm. Self-kind Saturday. It has a nice ring to it.
2: (laughs) I know. And it's so good. You know, it's very different now. Like as I've evolved, you know, there's a lot more to it. But it was literally in that moment when I could not do anything else except I just like drove to the nail place. I was like, just like take my hands. Don't let me use them for 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, I like that idea of self kindness as well. And I think we have to start there as women, especially, we can get very caught up in taking care of other people and meeting other people's needs. And I think a lot of us have been kind of internalized some messages around that. So I I can so relate to that idea of, like, having to have wet nail polish on so you actually mm-hmm. can't do something. So you're like stuck in this holding place while you have breathing room. And it's it's just a, you know, an image I'm sure many of us and our listeners can.
0: You mentioned that you had some fear of how people would judge you, I guess, if you like, for this self-kindness. Yeah. yeah. And so how did that work out? Was your fear realized or did you just learn some strategies to – not give a damn about what I
2: thought or what? You... <laughs> well, if I had those strategies, I think I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so at that exact moment in time, I think I was just so exhausted. I like, I, I just couldn't see any other way out. I couldn't see anything else to do. Like that exact moment was literally my, you know, one of the few, if I look at my lifeline, one of the few kind of turning point moments I can identify. So it was just like, I didn't have, I could not come up with a kind thing to do. Like I was so just internally wound up. I had to go do something for myself. And so my thought process is that at that time was like, well, but this is a kindness for myself and I am still doing this project. Like I don't want to abandon this 365 days of kind project, but I need something to be able to sustain myself through this. So I, I kind of reframed it honestly in my own mind as a self kind Saturday and I decided to make it a practice and, I, you know, I did it. This was a social media thing that I was doing. You can actually, if you go on Twitter, you can search the hashtag 365 days of kind and you can see all of them. Um, I just started doing it. Like I just put it out there, you know, 365 days of kind self kind Saturday today. I got a manicure and then each Saturday thereafter, I continue to do it. And I, I did it through the fear because I didn't want to hide out from this project that I had so publicly spoken about, but I Mm -hmm. also literally could not do what i had said that i was going to do for that moment in time so i just put it out there despite the fear um and it it, it it was amazing the response that i got like it was amazing i was so it's one of those examples where you can really say like we get ourselves worked up into this place of fear and it's not always true like there is always yeah. another option to consider and that's one of the things
0: that really opened my eyes to that yeah and i think you just showed vulnerability and uh, kindness to yourself which is what mm-hmm. many of us need to learn and what we're attracted to of other leaders that that inspire us so yeah kudos to you i think it is and that vulnerability is hard
2: and you know honestly that one decision really became the foundation of everything i do you know wow. a big part of the work that i do in my private coaching is helping people develop their own self-kindness practices because I'm, you know, I'm raising my hand type a overachiever recovering perfectionist, like <laughs> lives a long time like that. It still comes back. You know, it, it's something that is consistently with me, but I like to, what I think the best we can do. And you'd mentioned earlier, like, you know, did you, did you just not care about what other people thought? Like, gosh, only like I wish. Uh-huh. Right. But yeah. I think the best that I can do and the best that I, I like to teach my clients to do is we can take that fear and we can take it out of the driver's seat. We can make it our passenger, and when it's our passenger, we can see it as this external thing that's a piece of us. It's not in control, and sometimes it's louder, and sometimes it's reaching for the wheel, and sometimes it's in the trunk, and you almost forget it there. But it's that practice of recognizing it as this isn't in control of me. This is a piece of me, and I actually have some power, and I'm able to make a decision about it, and not just you know completely default to doing what fear says.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you had. Um kind of redefined a little bit or reframed the project to include self kindness. So do you have a definition
2: of kindness that you use? Yeah, no, for me, when I'm talking in the business world, I like to think of kindness as you know, if we think of a corporate environment, kindness to me means we talk to people when we have a problem, we don't talk about them, Mm -hmm. we practice consistent feedback with, uh, with our peers and with our employees. We don't have a culture that is uh, work to live we or, or live to work. Rather, we have more of uh, a work to live culture. We do believe in, you know, there's a great Richard Branson quote that says, if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your clients. But I think he missed the step as leaders in the business world. We have to take care of ourselves mm-hmm. to be able to take care of our employees who will then take care of our clients. So that's really what I think of, of kindness in the corporate sense when it's the personal sense, I really look at self kindness. And and for me, you know, the biggest common denominator, whether you're talking personal or professional kindness, is always baby steps, you know, I will never, ever, ever be the coach that tells you, you know, like, tell fear to F off, like, it's just a light <laughs> switch change, you can exactly. just, you know, like, just do it, just do the thing. Like I, one of the best examples, I had a leader that came to me, and she really, she wouldn't, um, or she couldn't make herself give her, um, Take some strategic time in her calendar. Like she couldn't block it out. She tried it. She always overscheduled herself. And like three months into our work together, she finally hit the point where she's like, "Oh, the light bulb went off." And I said, "Now, do you understand why I didn't say to you in our first session? We'll just block your session out in another cal- uh, in another color in your calendar, and you know, tell people not to overschedule, and then problem solve Like you have to get underneath of it, and you have to take." the small steps to figure out what will get you to that destination because the light switch change doesn't
0: really work. So I love there how you just kind of flipped from the personal coaching and your blog to corporate kindness work as well. And I'd, I'd, I'm going to take this into a whole new tangent. Laura. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, bring it, what, 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 what about how we're told we have to niche? Who is your client and what I love mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to, I'm, asking this question selfishly because I love leadership development and I've often said to Sandy well I want to help women live and lead their own lives I also want to work in corporations as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then there's this but you can't do both and then are you seen as you know a life coach versus a strategic or executive coach or Mm -hmm. so I'm just personally curious about how that journey happened for you. Yeah, so partly intentional,
2: partly accidental. Um, but so I had done a couple of years ago, it might have been two thousand fifteen. I you know, I kinda started the beginning of the year and I said to myself, you know what, Laura, no one's gonna find you on the sofa. Like it's time to get out and <laughs> yes. you know, like stepping into that business like we were talking about, and I just started looking for um like for local events, you know, local conferences and things like that. And I spoke at a couple events and I really started to like that. Um in 2016, I was hired. So that's the intentional part is, you know, going out and looking for, for ways to get out and, and to speak to audiences. And then the, the things that kind of came to me um, was I was hired by an organization to do workshops at their um, national uh, conference. And it was being held in Philadelphia, which is the city that I live just outside of in Pennsylvania. So I was hired by this professional organization to come do some seminars during their three-day conference uh, in Philadelphia and now, uh, last year, 2017, I was hired by a company in Philadelphia to work with two of their leaders that were in conflict. Um, and then I just started oh. looking at who are the people that in my private coaching practice that I have done the best work with, you know, we all have, I think, whatever your profession is, you know, doctor, lawyer, coach, you know, whatever, if you are working with clients in some capacity, you start to notice trends of with these kinds of people, I do my best work. And what I started to realize was the people that I did or the people with whom I did my best work were the ones that, you know, not surprisingly, they looked kind of like me. They're, you know, their mid-career, their <laughs> yeah. leadership, they're, you know, in largely in the corporate space. Not fully, I have worked with entrepreneurs as well, but like largely in the corporate space. And you know, and they're just at that point of something is wrong and they can't mm. necessarily identify. You know, I sometimes clients come to me saying they want to change jobs. Sometimes clients come to me saying like, God, I just lost my joy. I really want to reconnect to it. I'm not fulfilled anymore. Sometimes clients come to me and they really know it. And they're like, I am burned out. And I see what you have on the other side and I don't know how to get it. So it always looks differently, but I think the trends are the same. And I started realizing I'm really good at helping these people overcome burnout and helping them get to the other side of it, helping them to move through it and to really you know, start their own self-kindness practices, shift their life, get back to their joy, like start feeling that fulfillment and thriving again. And I want to get underneath of it. I want to change the root of it. I want to change the cultures where that are cultivating this burnout. So that was mm. a very long answer, but I, I'm no. trained as a life coach. You know, I I went through a life coaching certification program. I teach through that program now, so I train other women to become life coaches. Um, but I also worked in corporate America for 20 years. I have an MBA. I tend to work with those people. I can speak that language and you know I think the the coaching skill set as kind of a foundation is very translatable you know you can take a life yeah. coaching skill set into corporate into health and wellness into you know general
0: personal coaching yeah mm-hmm. i totally agree and the fact that i mean what what is your constant is your anchor around kindness and yeah we mm-hmm. need kindness in our personal lives and we need kindness at work so mm-hmm. it makes total sense to me it 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 um it's just interesting what what we hear about a lot around developing an ideal business, and I think um, mm. I love how you you manage to successfully straddle the both and and yeah, you're you're niching maybe to a certain type of client, um, mm. whether they come to you personally or whether they come to you through corporate, it doesn't really matter. Um, I love that, you know, I just love that you're getting. The word kindness into corporations. <laughs>
2: okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank
2: you. You know, I think, I think niching is great. You know, I think that it helps you direct your message. You know, it helps you get past the whole like, I want to be everything to everyone mentality. And yeah, you know, like, look, every new business owner has that. I still get it sometimes. I'm like, ah, but this isn't going to identify with some people. And now I'm like, yeah, that's okay. They're not my people. So I think it's really helpful from that perspective. But I always say, you don't have to turn people away that don't necessarily fit your mold. You know, if I talk to a potential coaching client, it's about, do we connect on a level where, you know, yeah. this person can safely be vulnerable? Do I feel like I can, am I the best person to to support them? Am I going to be For able them. to meet their yeah. needs? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, niching is what helps you deliver your messaging and it helps draw in the people that feel um, an alignment towards that, but it never ever means that you have to turn someone down that yeah. doesn't like come to me saying i want to be kinder to myself yeah yeah exactly
1: yeah so along with that i'm thinking about this whole idea of burnout and how um how widespread it is how many people i know that have been through burnout and the recovery from it can be really can take a long time so I, I was just thinking about when you're working with some of your individual clients and they come to you because they, they're um, on the verge of burnout or they're experiencing burnout. What's what's sort of like the first thing that you do with them to kind of help them, I don't know, reorient the way they work mm-hmm. and the way they, they live?
2: Yeah, so I really like to start um, by... Learn, first I, I learn about them. You know, I, I try to figure out, you know, what is it that they're truly feeling and experiencing. But as far as the first baby steps that we take, one of my favorite things I have them do. And, you know, what I found is a lot of us kind of build up this quote busyness uh, oh, mentality, like it becomes the status symbol because we're getting so much externally derived value. You know, you get a lot of external reinforcement when you are the person that does it all, is there for everyone, holds everyone else up, puts themselves last, like, let's face it, you get a lot of validation for that. So the first thing that I try and do is really help my clients unravel that. And one of my favorite ways to do that, and everybody balks at this exercise and everybody loves the (laughs) result, but I have them pick their, you know, Brene Brown has a thing where she, um, she says, take a one, one inch by one inch piece of paper and write down the names of the people in your life whose opinion matters to you, right? Yes. So I, I, think I have them think about who are those people and not only to just like have that as your list of like nobody else really matters but I actually have my clients reach out to those people and ask those people what is it that you love about me what is it that makes me special to you what is it that makes me important to you never has someone come back and said it's because you made that cake from scratch for my wedding party instead of buying a store-bought cake it's never because you um you own your own company. It's never because you got that promotion to to senior VP at work. It's always because um, you know, you're a giving person. You're the person that understands me most. You make me laugh. Like the results of this exercise have such a powerful way of helping my clients look at what the people that they care about most value about them. And it's never all of this stuff that we have swirling around in our head about accomplishment based and, you know, external validation. And I have to, quote, do all the things. It's it's always about who they are as a person. And that really starts. It kind of gives them comfort to know that they can make these changes and it's safe, because I think what we all fear is if I stop doing all the things, and if I stop being everything to everyone, I'm going to end up alone. You know, we go to this place of nobody's going to like me. They only Mm -hmm. like me for what I'm doing. And this exercise, you know, done very early in a coaching relationship can help give them that safety net of like, oh, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to not work my fingers to the bone, you know, only get two hours of sleep, show up at the party frazzled. They'd actually rather have me there refreshed and happy to be there with a store-bought cake than with something I slaved all night making from scratch. They don't care.
1: It's a good reminder, I think, at the root of a lot of what we do is that desire for approval or recognition from other people that it's like you said, it's, it's in our head. It's not in their head. We put that on other
0: people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sandy and I have often spoken about potentially limiting value of being liked.
2: No, I love to be liked. don't get me wrong. Yeah, (laughs) not It's not like I woke up in that nail salon and I no longer cared what people thought of me or wanted to be liked or wanted to be perfect. Like, man, I still love all of those things. And I recognize that that's not what gives me value as a human. Like I can, I can still notice that I have the desire to be liked and that, yes, it's hard to say no. And that Oh, there's that perfectionism kicking in and Hey, it looks like you're overscheduling a little bit. Like let's dig in and look at that. Like I can see all of these things
0: for what they are instead of having them be what controls me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that was the main thing of, of us understanding. Okay. Am I making this decision because I want to be liked? Or am I doing this because I want to be liked or is this really what I want to do? And, and just that self-awareness, you know, which is what I love working with clients and helping that uncover some of that. It's like, oh, so now I have a, little, a few more choices. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. Yeah. And so is that part of your kind method then?
2: So the kind method is, so the first step is keeping it real, which is what I talked about as sort of when I'm getting to know the clients, like we want to kind of own it. We want to look in the mirror and think about, okay, what's really happening here? And then um, the I part is I mean my, what's my role in this? So how am I showing up? Am I saying yes when I mean no? Am I, you know, double booking myself because I'm scared to be alone? Am I, you know, always volunteering for overtime and then, you know, bitching about it when I get home to my spouse? So that's the I mean my part of it. Um, And then the N is what's next. So what do I want next for myself? What do I want my life to look like? If I could wave a wand and in six months have things be different, what would that be? And then D is really where the meat comes in. It's delivery. It's how do we create new habits, new knowledge, new patterns to get to that place that we want to be next. And it's iterative, right? Like every time you're working with a client, you go back and at a different point, okay, we've got to get real about this. And okay, we've got to look at my role um, myself in this, and then we've got to look at how we're going to do the delivery to get to the next point. So it's not a once and done; it, it kind of goes around in a circle during the process. But I found that it really works when people come to the table in that place that they're ready to start keeping it real.
1: I really like that. I think it's uh, I, I like that. it's just embedded in there is the I. I think that's a big part of it, for, or maybe it's just a big part for me. But I, I think it's great that you um, invite your clients to go there and to really reflect on their own decision-making and choices that they're making that are contributing to where they are and whether it's burnout or dissatisfaction with their life. So that's great. Um, I, we talked a little bit at the beginning about cultural differences, but I, I was thinking about this idea of kindness and does that shift in different cultures? And you mentioned that you've worked in, in, um, different countries. And I think in Canada, we often see ourselves as very kind and (laughs) gentle and polite people. And I am curious to just know what your experience has been. And we have listeners that are from all around the world. So I thought it would be interesting to talk to you a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, think that burnout is universal. Um, I've got a few good friends in Canada and I know that it's not a foreign concept to them. Um, I have worked with private clients in, in the UK and in other parts of Europe. and, And unfortunately a lot of the same stuff shows up, you know, especially with women, largely we, we do have that mentality, you know, it's a more service mentality I think as women than as men tend to be socialized with. So I think that value is, is universal. It's not unique to America. It's not unique to Canada or the UK or, Or anywhere like that. I do think that there are some cultures that are far ahead. Um, We have good friends in Sweden, and (laughs) it is a totally different work culture over there. Not that there aren't people that are, you know, falling into that um, kind of overachieving burnout type of uh, lifestyle, but I think that it's, it's less common, I'll say that I won't say it's, um, they're in the minority, but I definitely think it's less common in some of the European countries. and, And I think that movement is starting to happen, but, but burnout is universal, unfortunately. Yeah. And
1: I would think social media contributes to that globally, as well as in individually, like we just keep looking at what everybody else is doing and add that onto our must do list or, you know, everybody else seems to be making these beautiful dinners from scratch. So Mm -hmm. I should be doing that too. Like it just, we can take on these expectations because of what we see all the other people doing.
2: Yeah, I agree. And you know, if I if I take a step back and think about it, you know, like, am I posting on social media that I just picked a fight with my husband over cat litter? Of course, I'm not. I'm posting a gorgeous selfie when we're on a date night. But like, <laughs> I know that about myself, like, I know every facet of my life. And we just, we look at someone else's and we don't recognize, you know, that's their highlight reel. That's not, yes. their. that's not every chapter of their life. But we don't often in the moment make that just make that connection. Rather, we just stay in the place of, you know, like you said, comparisonitis or, or shooting all over yourself and like, look at his life, look at her life, look at this, look at that. And it's gosh, it's just not real, but you're right. I think social media in a few ways, like it contributes to the 24 seven, you know, news cycle. Like there's always something to check. Like there's always a little red number popping up on your Facebook icon. There's always somewhere else to look on social media, but it also really fuels that that not good enough story of everybody else is doing it better than me, or they have it figured out, or why am I not Marie Forleo yet? You know, like whatever your story is, I think <laughs> social media's got a big piece of
0: that. Yeah, it's true. I love how you call it comparisonitis. I haven't heard it that before.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's a total I'm disease. Comparisonitis. <laughs> it yes. is like a rabbit hole. I'm not this. I'm not that. No. Setting boundaries is one of the kindest of things you can do to yourself. You know, learning how to you know, say yes, when you want to, and say yes. no, when you want to, and giving yourself that freedom, um, you know, setting those boundaries, managing your time, you know, looking at, you know, the most basic fundamental things, am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating foods that work for my body? Am I moving in a way, you know, that is, you know, that my body feels good about, you know, what are those foundational things, and then you can build back your capacity, and you can start to put in some boundaries, and you can start to, and particularly if you're a woman, you can use your voice a little bit more. Your confidence tends to improve. But really, you know, starting at that foundational level of, you know, how's my body feeling? What am I doing with it? Is it okay? And, you know, what boundaries need to be put into place around my
0: time? Oh, I love that. I want to be kind to my body and I want to be kind mm-hmm. to myself. It's such an intimidating concept. You know, we all have probably
2: seen the internet memes of like, no is a complete sentence. And, yeah, I I believe that fundamentally, but going from people pleasing and thinking about saying no oftentimes triggers that fear and it triggers that anxiety and, and yes. you immediately go to that place of like, well, nobody's going to like me anymore if I don't show up for everything. So what I invite my clients to do is just don't ever commit to anything in the moment. So give yourself that pause, like take a moment, like you don't have to say no, let's take mm. the pressure of no out of the equation. But when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, hey, Joanne, can you do this for me? on Thursday night and you check your calendar instead of saying like, okay, I don't have anything committed. I'm going to say yes. In that moment, you say, Hey, you know what? Let me check um, my schedule and I'll get back to you by tomorrow. So you buy yourself that time and you get out of the anxiety of the moment. And then you can make a more clear headed, grounded decision. And once you do that a few times, you start to realize people are still going to like you. It's (laughs) all going to be okay. And you buy yourself that power of being able to shift out of saying yes to everything via this pause technique to actually getting to the place of saying no. But I think, you know, to, the idea of going from 100% yes to 100% no is way too intimidating. And therefore, oh, most yeah. people don't do it. Like most people just don't do it. It's terrifying. So we give ourselves these tools so that we can do it gradually. And that's how we build new habits. And that's how we get out of the people pleasing and start to set boundaries.
1: Mm-hmm. I just had that happen to me today. I somebody asked me about something. And I'm not sure it's a A priority for me and I have a very full week um the week they made the request for and so I just said can I get back to you Friday because I thought I need to really sit with it and Mm -hmm. decide what the value is for me in doing it is is it because sometimes you take it on because you realize well there's a bigger story here a bigger picture and Mm -hmm. I'm I am willing to do it because there's some benefit in it for me or the relationship, but I just was like, I'm not really sure. So, can I let you know Friday? Oh, yeah, no hurry. Like, I was like, oh, good. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: <laughs> right. love it. Exactly. And like, never once have I had somebody come back and say, well, this woman like hates me and isn't ever speaking to me again because I told her I needed to get back to her. Like, it's never <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think just giving yourself a few days to kind of weigh it through, you're right. It's just that pause before committing. I think that's something I've had to work on and um really think through. I do have another um question. It's kind of a question I like to ask a lot. It's um what's been your biggest surprise in your kindness journey? Hmm.
2: You know, in the be- I-, I think it's a lot of what we've been talking about. It's the surprise of you know, I didn't end up alone and friendless when I started doing things for myself. You know, I had this deep fear. I heard, um, Janine Roth was recently on the good life project podcast. And I heard her say, when we don't feel we're worthy of love, we need to be needed. And I was like, Holy shit. First 35 years of my life for sure. Like that need to be needed and that external validation. And when I really started shifting out of that, the surprise to me was it didn't all fall apart. You know, like I'm still married to the same person. I still have the same intimate friend circle and, and things have shifted. I am not saying that it has been, you know, sunshine and rainbows. I was just speaking to um, <laughs> one of the trainees actually in, in the coaching program and saying, you know, I look at relationships, whether romantic or platonic as a dance. And when we are changing our dance steps, there are going to be toes that get stepped on. And in some relationships, the partner adjusts and we learn a new dance together. And in other relationships, we just keep stepping on our toes until a point where it just isn't working anymore. And we stop dancing, but that's a part of the journey. And it doesn't mean that we're wrong for changing our dance steps or showing up differently. But really my biggest surprise was, you know, really all of these fears that I had is I I didn't, I was not in touch with them. Like I wasn't walking through life consciously thinking that if I take care of myself, everyone's going to leave me, but somewhere deep rooted in me was that fear and that mm-hmm. need to be needed. And I still have friends that, you know, come to me when they need something. And now I can go to them as well. I'm not living in that place of resentment thinking, well, like nobody ever comes, you know, nobody's ever there for me. Well, when you don't ask, you don't give them okay. the opportunity. So starting to ask and, and being viewed as, you know, a more whole person, a person that does contain strength and vulnerability, which is, by the way, that's the most the biggest form of strength there's out, that's out there. Um, but just letting that vulnerability be out there and letting, you know, letting people see the cracks, letting people come into my dirty house, you know, showing up without makeup on, like whatever the little thing is that I didn't let myself do before, to start letting myself do those small things and realize that people actually like me more. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, you've come yeah. up with some great strategies. What, what do you find? hardest for some of your clients or even some of your your uh... I
2: love it I think what's hardest for most
0: people um and this is what I tell people in the beginning you know I tend
2: to work with my clients um my private clients for around six months because I think that gives us enough time to make some sustainable change and hit a bump in the road because mm. almost Every single time when we hit a bump in the road, like we're going along, we've, you know, we've made some positive change. We're really like, we're rocking our boundaries. We've got some really good, like foundational self-kindness stuff where, you know, our confidence is increasing, our capacity is increasing. And then something happens, you know, like there's a personal challenge, there's a professional challenge, or there's a layoff or you know, if you're a leader, you have to do the laugh, like whatever it looks like. And immediately, and this is all just brain chemistry, like this is literally our brains working the way that they're supposed to and the way that we're wired. But stress puts us immediately back into the old habits because we haven't, you know, if you're 30, 40, 50 years old and you've been living this way for, you know, four decades, six months of coaching is a great start. It's certainly (laughs) not like the same (laughs) habit that you've been living in for 30 years of your life. So stress immediately makes us go back to that place of safety and our brains equate habit and pattern with safety. So every single time my clients come to me and we're still in that coaching relationship and they have, they hit that stressful mark. They hit the time and it's like, the session always starts the same way, like, man, I really like got you know, my patterns really started dropping off. I didn't do this, I didn't do that. And, you know, when we look at what did happen, and then I can explain that to them and explain to them, like, you're human, and your brain's working exactly how it's supposed to. And this is why we do this for this period of time. Because I, you know, the short term stuff, we need support, we need support when we're in that, like, really delicate phase of, of learning new habits and and learning new patterns and creating new pathways in our brain. So, you know, it breaks my heart when people have those stressful things and they do regress a little bit. And then we go into that judgment place of like, I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm not good enough. I I should just go back to the old way. You know, like the easiest thing to liken that to is a new year's resolution. Like I'm going to go to the gym five Mm -hmm. days a week. Maybe we do that for like two weeks, but then in the third week, we only make it four times. And instead of saying, Hey, I made it to the gym four times. That's really awesome. In December, I hadn't gone at all. All we see is uh, I didn't go five times. I guess I'm a failure. I might as well stop. And when the beautiful thing about having that support in that time of transition and changing and establishing new patterns is you can get that validation. You can get that coach to reflect to you. You went four times. And if we're talking in a month from now, you're going to feel better about continuing to go four times a week than if you just stop going altogether right now. And the same is true with any kind of change. Like when we have our stressors come up, we immediately go back to old habits. It's perfectly normal. It's perfectly human. And when you're in a supported relationship, you can actually recover from that more quickly instead of letting it be a brick wall. It ends up being a pothole.
1: I was glad you brought up the age thing because I think sometimes uh, when I look at people who are younger, I can sort of see those patterns in them, you know, especially early thirties before you turn 30, you know, that really trying to get your identity in place and saying yes Mm -hmm. to every opportunity and, and, uh, just the stage of life you're in. But I also think, like you said, that, um, just getting older doesn't necessarily mean you're becoming more self-aware or self-actualized and it can, things can just become more entrenched if you, if you don't deal with them. So I was glad you brought that up. I actually heard a great line this week that said, um, I don't know where I heard it, but it's just been something I've been thinking about. And it was that a lot of people confuse being self aware with being self critical. Mm. And I love that. I know, I've been thinking about it. I'm sorry, I can't remember where I heard it. Um, Somebody mentioned it. And I thought, yeah, and I think especially, we think because we're beating up on ourselves, like you were saying, um, how we tend to do that, not be kind to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We think that's being self aware. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: it's it's not the same thing at all.
2: No, that's just self flagellation. I mean, that's really punishment. That's no different than you know, a parent emotionally abusing a child mm-hmm. to, you know, to look at self awareness and to equate it with self criticism. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure you can all tell by now. I believe in the polar opposite of that, but yeah. you know, like, to cultivate aware, you know, Buddhist concepts would say detached awareness. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Dr. Kristen Neff and her self compassion work, like compassionate awareness, you know, looking at that part of yourselves as, um, you know, as something worthy of love, as just A piece of you that is, you know, it's in need of something it, you know, maybe you want to make a shift, but just because you want to make a change, doesn't mean that you're broken or or flawed or terrible, something like that, like to really look at that piece of yourself with compassion, you know, the, the woman that I trained through, um, always says, like, if we could hate ourselves into perfection, we'd all be perfect by now
1: yeah <laughs> so, true. so what if we
2: try a different way you know what if you try some kindness or some compassion or some love and to treat that part of yourself differently
1: yeah i think that's a really good place to end <laughs> mm-hmm. but i also think it would be great for our listeners to hear where they can find out more some of the things that you have that are available that you've mm-hmm. got and uh, how they can connect with you
2: yeah absolutely So if you are looking for a lot of kindness all the time, head to kind over matter. (laughs) I write every Monday. Uh, We have amazing guest writers throughout the week. Um, You can also sign up for my monthly love letters. I send out um, just some thoughts every month on my love letter list through kind over matter. If you're interested in the kind methodology that I had mentioned or any of the work, what it means to have kindness in business, that's all housed at lauraheacock.com. And if you want some bite-sized kindness and you're like me and you love a physical book, my book Practical Kindness is available on Amazon.
0: Oh yeah, we didn't talk about your book. When was that published? Just in January. Yeah,
2: just oh. published in January, and it's fantastic. And it's a really easy, fun, digestible way to start bringing some kindness and self-kindness into your own world. Oh,
0: That's good. great! And were you able to practice the self-kindness while you we were writing that book? Um, <laughs> most.
2: Uh, I'm going to give myself fifty percent. I ah. definitely like. So my fear shows up in this is too hard. I'm going to not do it. And obviously by the fact that the book is out in the world, I did not let that stop me. So that yes. was my biggest accomplishment of self-kindness. But there were definitely days where I was cursing the Amazon system and the create space system. And I was like, I have to effing reformat this thing again. But yeah, I made it through and I'm really proud of it.
0: And sometimes the messy middle is, is worth yes. all, worth all of it. Oh, I love that. Oh, Lara, it's been so great to have you on Thank today. you so much.
2: I'm, Thank you I'm, so, so
0: much. Yeah, definitely going to be uh, signing up for some of those things you've offered there. And look at how I can reframe my list because i think there's some other things i could probably do rather than watching tv or something like that so
2: sometimes that's the kindest of thing i mean look at my fair share of netflix don't discount it yeah. <laughs>
0: that's great well so, scandal's um, finished now so you know i have to find something else oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh thank you both so much yeah, yeah thank, so you, you, so much.
1: Lara. thank you thank you
2: thanks patty yes
0: <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.